Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use and wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hey, this is Dr. Dyke Drummond at the home of thehappymd.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington, with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. With me is Dr. John Nicholson, who is a, you're a pediatrician, right, John? Yes. Pediatrician in Michigan. And John and I have known each other for years. Uh, he's a member of our Physicians on Purpose community. And what I am going to talk to John about is the whole process of recognizing when you're burned out, deciding that you need to leave this job, and then finding a better place where you can put down some deep roots and really enjoy your practice again. So John, if you would say hi and just take us back to when we first met and your situation at that point in time, what that felt like. Hey guys. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think I reached my peak when I sought help in 2014, but at the previous 14 years or, or what led up to that. I had spent 13 years in an academic pediatric setting where I was a full-time hospitalist and then also a full-time assistant professor doing the residency coordinator, the medical student education on call two weeks at a time, 24-7. Oh, my. (laughs) Kind of living the work, I guess is the best way they put it. I had a bad problem of always saying yes. And so whenever the new committee came up, I was the one they put on it. I was well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let's just differentiate. There's a difference between saying yes and not saying no fast enough. So I think maybe maybe it was the not saying no fast enough, right? I think eventually. I think honestly, at the beginning, I had drank the Kool-Aid and I was all about being on every possible committee and being present and accounted for for pretty much everything at the hospital and at the university. And then towards the end, it was hard to say no, couldn't disentangle myself. And so that's why I left that job. And so in 2013. So when was it that you realized after years of this, over a decade of this, when was it that you realized that this was a dead end for you? That it's like, this can't go on for much longer. Two years into the second job. So I left the first one because I don't think I identified what was going on. I just felt frantic. I felt trapped. I no longer enjoyed going into work, no longer enjoyed working with the medical students, the residents, it all was very onerous. And at the same time, my wife was struggling with her work, not really liking it, but didn't feel she could disentangle. So our grand plan was let's move. And so that's when we found a small rural practice in upstate Michigan. So the exact opposite, I thought of what I was doing. Right. And that's when we moved there in 2013. So yeah, but no, at that time, I wasn't even thinking burnout. Quite honestly, in this part of the country, it wasn't even a common phrase. It wasn't, it was no one talked about it. Right. The Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. If, you, if it gets hard, you just work harder, you know? Right. And I would think that trading in an academic practice where you have all the different roles and responsibilities for a rural practice where you're the alpha and the omega, <laughs> it probably is quite similar. It ended up being quite similar, yes. There were some changes in the job between when I signed and when I arrived, and most of those had to do with call coverage. 
So when I signed, I was supposed to be a one in 20 call group with all the different primary care in the area. Two months after I got there, they all decided to stop doing it. Now it was one in two. Wow. Covering nursery, all inpatient feeds, as well as the outpatient. Wow. That's a classic bait and switch. (laughs) Yeah, it hurt. It hurt. That was that was the beginning of the peak. I think I struggled for, for about a year. I was really miserable. I was, I, I can't even describe how miserable I was. I was down. I was pretty bad. Um, and in December of 2014, believe it or not, I was on Amazon. Once again, I'd never heard of burnout and stuff, but I was searching for books on physician uh, suicide, not topics of how to, but more what do you do? That was becoming to become a common thing in the news. And I was just curious, were there any books out there to, I don't know, self-therapy, that kind of thing. And that's when I came across the very first book I'd ever seen that actually had burnout in the title. It was top of the list for Amazon search. And I decided I'm going to get it. The author also included a, an hour of coaching time with getting the book, if you remember doing that. <laughs> So in January, I think you're talking about my book. Yeah, right? I'm talking about your book. Yeah. So, so that book is called "Stop Physician Burnout: What to Do When Working Harder Isn't Working." Yeah. Okay, cool. As I read it, I recognized myself in a lot of it and what I had been experiencing. I was relieved to know that it was common enough that someone wrote a book about it. Because, like I said, it's it's strange as it sounds. It was not a topic of the conversation back then. Right. Certainly not in the in the places I work. Right. It, there was no such thing, quote unquote, as, as physician burnout. It was physicians just, you know, needing to get their act together or work a little harder, or, you know, put the extra effort in. I remember a story somebody told me about they had a burnout presentation in their residency program. And this person was a faculty member. So it was residents and faculty members. And the professor emeritus was a grizzled old guy who was still practicing in his 70s. He stood up and walked out of the burnout uh, presentation and said, he said out loud so everybody could hear it. There's no such thing as burnout. There's only weakness. (laughs) That was the attitude, though. That really was, especially in the academic setting. Of course. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there was the junior faculty. We were not allowed to complain about anything. Right. Let's just say something real quick about academics, because if you're listening, you may be an academic. Academics are crazy. That's because a classic academic job description is actually six full-time equivalents. And let's just go through them. You're supposed to be a clinician. That's one. A teacher. That's two. A researcher. That's three. A grant writer. That's four. You're supposed to be an academic department. Uh, administrator of some sort, that's five. And number six, in many institutions, you're actually asked to lecture on behalf of the institution internationally to spread its reputation for expertise. That's six. If you think it was hard for you, imagine that you're a 33-year-old mother of three, a woman, mother, let's give you a special needs child and then expect you to fulfill an academic practice. That's crazy. And I just want to make one more point at the t- at the tip of the spear when you were looking for books on suicide. What I want to just remember is that burnout is not a mental illness. Burnout is not in the DSM. No. It's not. It's a normal response to overwhelm. Now, the complications of burnout, depression, suicide, PTSD and things like that are mental illnesses. But burnout itself is not. Yeah. And now I know that because now it's much more uh, frequent topic with and all the learning I've done since then. But you're right, at the time, it was brand new information. 
Coping for physicians is simply, you know, put your chin down and keep chugging because we learned how to do that surviving our residency experience. Yeah. So there you are. Oh my God, I'm burned out. What happens next? Yep. So in January of 2015, you and I had the first coaching session and then I started working the programs quite honestly. And I did the, you know, the one minute mindfulness. If there was a a program, I asked for it. (laughs) I think uh, I went a year doing all that background, working on, you know, personal resilience, those kind of things, the squeegee breath, everything. Uh, At that time, there was an app that had all the the different teaching videos on it. And I I burned that thing up. I'd watch them often just for uh, support, I think, more than anything else. I'd seen them five, six, seven times, but I was still in that job during that whole time. Still just every other day being on call, not sleeping much, missing out. I I never drove to the restaurant in the same car as my family because odds are I was going to get called and have to leave. So we always drove separately. And it was a small town, so there was no escape. So even on my days off, walking around the grocery store, I'd get stopped and have to walk somebody over to the pharmacy section and show them the cream I was talking about that they should try or et cetera. it It was fulfilling in a practice sense in some ways, but it was just just destroying me. Well, and it, it could have been very, very different if you hadn't had, you know, a decade of academic beatdown. Right. And if you were from that town, I mean, there's lots of people who would slot into something like that under those circumstances and you could understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So I made it through that. So the 2015 is what I spent doing that. Um, in 2016, I joined POP, even though I hadn't gone to any of the retreats yet. And then fall of that year, I went out and attended the conference in Seattle. Right on. So, and by this time, I would, I was already thinking of a job change. Um, I felt we were kind of committed to the area while my girls were in high school. Um, one daughter by that time was in her sophomore year. The other one was in her eighth grade year. So I was thinking it'd be four or five years down the road would be moving. But as fate would have it, my youngest daughter wanted to leave before then. She had some stuff she needed to do that required a bigger town with bigger resources. So we decided in 2017 that I was going to look for a job. So that's when I started implementing all the different Venn diagrams and ideal job search, that kind of stuff. Just got real focused on what was I looking for? Whereas before I just looked for a job and said, does it sound good? This was more focused on, okay, I know what part of the state I was moving to. Let's look at all the different jobs available and try to rank them. So that was very helpful. Right. And so we have here an online training called the Ideal Physician Job Search Formula. And it's based on my observation as a coach early on that most doctors jump to a new job by running away from the things they don't like in the old one. Yeah. Realizing this statement will always be true. You can avoid everything you don't want and you still won't get what you want. Because the only way to get what you want is to figure out what that is and go get it. And most people are running away. They're not running towards anything. Yeah, that's what I had done in the previous job. You're right. I had run away from the university and anything looked better. Well, and you might have been okay if they didn't bait and switch you from one in 20 to one in two call rotation. You might have actually been okay. But another teaching point is I considered the, the absolute minimum rotation for avoiding burnout is absolute minimum is three in the rotation. Four is better. But anytime any organization leads two people in charge of a rotation for something that calls them infrequently or sends them to different hospitals in the area, you're going to burn those two people out. Yeah. So you go, we teach a specific way to interview. You came home, you have a Venn diagram that says this practice and my ideal practice, how much overlap is there? 
How long did it take you to find a place where you felt like you had a pretty good overlap with your ideal job description? I think I started working with the recruiters in January of 2018. And by March, I had gotten it down to four or five that I was able to say had some overlap. And then to get more specific, I, I took that Venn diagram and made it into a spreadsheet where I assigned percents to the things as far as values. For example, I mean, I was looking at it a little bit ago, just to remind myself, you know, one of them was no inpatient or hospital responsibilities. That was going to be a big thing. I, I just was done. So that was high on the list. I think I assigned that a 30 or 40% value. Then I had things, I think there were 10 total things such as access to specialists in the area. So you could have some place to send your patients, a multi-specialty type group with more than just, you know, one one specialty in the office. And then I did a whole nother job search for the community. What kind of community were we looking for? And that that was more a family kind of we got together and said, what are we looking for? You know, what what's important to us? We've lived in decent sized Midwestern city for a long time. Then we lived in a rural community for a long time. And what are we looking for next? And so we actually ended up living in the in a good sized city here in Western Michigan, but I practice in a rural community. And it actually gotcha. is absolutely the best situation because we get all of the, the fun and access and stuff to do in a big city. And I still get to practice in a small community like I always wanted to. But I don't live in that community. So now there is no bump into the grocery store. I'm I'm strange in the fact that I live 90 miles away from my office. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, yeah. So I drive 180 miles a day, four days a week. Oh, my. <laughs> and pe- people look at me like I'm crazy, but I can't tell you how precious that time is. Yeah, that's your boundary ritual. <laughs> yep. If, if, if somebody said, hey, I've got to carve out an hour and a half morning and night for you myself. I would find a hard time doing that if I was at home, but I have an hour and a half morning and night that I've got nothing better to do. Right. So it's been fantastic. It's, it's, I wouldn't trade it. <laughs> that, that will go on the next search. All I got to say <laughs> is watch out for deer. <laughs> yes. Yep. I put a lot of miles on the vehicle. Well, and let me ask you this. Uh, when you think about when you came to the realization that you were going to have to move, you were going to have to change jobs and your, and your youngest daughter green lighted the switch, right? What was your your satisfaction with your practice at that point, zero to 10? Two. And when you think about now, I think about the last month or so in your current practice, what's your level of satisfaction here? Oh, I've actually been monitoring it since I got here. I've never gotten below seven. I'm about eight to nine. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm that nervous about it that I, I revisit the uh, ideal job search because this thing change in a job, you kind of need to go back and make sure that's still the one I, I hoped for. So well and that's the key about ideal job description and your Venn diagram estimate of the overlap is number one, the profession changes. Number two, your employer changes, right? Just look what happened when you went from a 20 rotation to two. I mean things can change about the practice. Your life changes. Do you still have a, a daughter in high school? No, both daughters in college now. So here you are, empty nester. Yep. And I'm divorced now. So that's, it's a whole All change. sorts yeah. of things change. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not that you're, it's not that you're paranoid or anything. It's that all of these are moving targets. It's almost like planets in a planetarium moving around each other. So the most, the healthiest doctors that I know 
are ones who are regularly stepping out of the whirlwind of their practice to take another look to make sure they're on their long-term goals. And at some point in time, another primary relationship may come along. At some point in time, retirement's going to come along. There's just all sorts of reasons why you would go back to your ideal job and ideal life description and decide whether or not you want to make continued changes. Yeah. Nope, I agree. I agree. This was the one, the final tally on this one was like 95 out of 100. And the other ones I had looked at didn't get better than 80. And this one still meets all the all the things. Even with the new duties they've asked me to do now, I don't feel obligated. I look back at the job search and say, well, does this fit any part of it? And I try not to say yes unless it does. Right. John just, he matter-of-factly talks about things that most doctors really struggle with, and he did too in his earlier years. It's like somebody asks you to do something. And the latest request was that you be involved in wellness in your organization, right? Yeah, I'm now the chairman of the wellness committee for our region, actually. So Now, in order for this to be a healthy decision, what we recommend and what our coaching recommends is that you don't say yes in the moment. Right. You go back to your ideal job description and ask yourself, you know, I'm seeing patients full time, right? I'm not doing hospital care. They just asked me to be the wellness committee chair. Is that in my ideal job description? Because if it's not, the healthiest thing to do is to say no. Yeah, this is probably the first time that I took a moment and said, hey, I'll get back with you. Usually, usually those are snap decisions for me in the past. They have been. Yeah. Because I think you're tall, right? Yep. Yep. How tall are you, John? Six three. Okay, we got a six foot three big old white guy. If they ask him to do something, he's going to say yes, right? <laughs> um, and people are going to project the unending role of strength upon you, right? So uh, being invested in being a rock, being unbeatable, always yes, all of that stuff is wrapped into your programming, Yeah, driven home with the conditioning of our medical education. The, the unusual thing is that you're six foot three and a pediatrician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had little babies look pretty small in your hands. <laughs> Well, and let's just wrap this up real quick about assume that somebody's listening right now who's wondering about whether or not they're burned out or wondering about whether or not they should look for a new job and are wondering whether there really is a better place out there. Because I see a lot of pessimism these days. We're still in the Delta phase, 2020. September 21st is the day that we're recording this. So Delta is big. A lot of people are beat down. There's a lot of support staff shortages all over the country. And I think there's a lot of people that have become quite pessimistic about there being a better place. If this practice sucks, is there a better place for me? What would you say to those people right now if they're listening? Oh, I, I think the, the thing that helped me was broadening my horizons of what's available, honestly. But at the time, I thought I was stuck and this was going to be life and I needed a way out. And just merely searching and starting to read and listen to other people's experiences it allowed you to hope a little bit. And I, I really think that's all it is. It's just, ah, just a little bit of hope. You know, it still is emotional thinking about it. Just, there's always hope. And there's so much more out there than I ever realized as far as how to work. I think I went through my residency, you know, there were two paths. You were a community physician who supported the university or you worked at the university. And there, you know, it was just, it was foreign to me that there are other options. So I think that's the biggest thing I learned was don't accept the voice in your head that says this is it. Well, and there's only one place that voice could have come from, 
And that's the fact that during your entire training in med school and residency, you didn't have any choices. You had to make it to the end. And what I want to say is this is the, the revelation that most people miss when they graduate from medical school because it's been seven to 12 to 16 years where you had no choice and no one cared about your experience and overwhelm was to be stuffed just to make it to the finish line. Once you graduate, the world is your oyster. And if anything, what's happening here in the United States is that shortages of physicians nationwide make it so it's an even better time to look for a better job if this one looks like a dead end to you. Just make sure that you are focused on what's ideal, what you would want to run towards, and that you have a very disciplined interview strategy. And I'm going to toot the horn of our training because number one, your evidence that it works, John, and we have lots of people that have been through the ideal physician job search formula. And I created it because 30% of my coaching clients need to change jobs and doctors are not taught how to do a good job of that in our training. Yeah, I actually, believe it or not, I printed out the, the sample questions you provided. And that's what I took to each one of the places when I interviewed and I filled them out in front of them. I showed them all. I said, these are the things I want to talk about, you know, and they're very specific. It helped do two things. I had several of the places got back to me and said, we knew you were serious because of the questions you asked, which then enabled them to shift over into serious. And then it really, I mean, it, it allowed a framework that also allowed me to compare apples to apples. I wasn't focused on whatever unique thing that particular place offered. I was coming back to the core questions. Let's be clear, it wasn't comparing apples to apples. It was comparing everyone to your ideal job description. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because all the questions were focused to tease it out. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Well, and again, what I'm going to say to you, John, is congratulations, because what happened was at the point that you woke up, we happened to run into each other, (laughs) woke up from your trance, (laughs) and yet... A lot of times people can understand a concept or, or they can educate themselves, but they don't take action with it. You are obviously a man of action, even despite other things going on, like a divorce that came down in this time frame too, you've continued to remain awake on purpose, intentional, and that's why you're having the experience that you have now. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do inside your organization as a wellness champion, because you've walked the walk. You certainly are privileged and in a position to teach other people how to do the same thing. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, but that's why they chose me, I guess. A few of the meetings, I just shared my story. And the business dyad leader came to me and said, nobody else who's doing this knows anything about it, nor have they lived it. And so, yeah, I think that's something you taught us a long time ago, is just share your story often and completely. And people get it. You know, We're not all as different as we think. Well, and we've all been here. We just don't say it out loud because, again, in residency, never show weakness is the unspoken second prime directive. So, yeah, you've you've walked the talk. And now what I what I hope, again, empty nest, you've figured out a boundary ritual. It's an unusual one, but you're not you're not the first (laughs) person to use your commute. As a, as a wind up and wind down boundary ritual, oh, yeah. you've, got, you've got this dialed in in a way that you can take on uh, the wellness role with your eyes wide open and actually have a really good time doing it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's been very gratifying just to share all the stuff I know and point people towards the books I use and the, just getting, as you often say, just completing their medical education. That's been priority number one for our committee was we're going to complete everyone's medical education first and teach them what burnout is and 
kind of go from there. And everyone's been very receptive so far. Excellent. Excellent. Anything else you want to say or do or ask right now, John? No, I don't think so. No. Right on. Well, thank you so much for again telling your story. It's really important, I think, for our listeners, and it certainly is enjoyable for me to recount. <laughs> Until next time, this is Dyke Drummond at the home of thehappymd.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. This has been the latest of our Physicians on Purpose podcast with Dr. John Nicholson in Michigan. Thanks, John. Thank you. 